You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Monday, April 26, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, we go back in time 18 years, courtesy of the California Report, to revisit the state's first election to recall its governor. Is history about to repeat itself? Then, National Native News reports on a new court ruling favoring the rights of Aboriginal people in Canada. After a roundup of regional news and weather, Al Stoller talks about how plants communicate with color and how you can start a conversation with native species. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. On Friday, Governor Gavin Newsom took a big step to ban fracking in California. That's the type of oil extraction that environmental activists have pushed to end for decades because of such dangers as the contamination of groundwater. With more, here's KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero. Hydraulic fracturing or fracking is the process of injecting a high-pressure cocktail of water, chemicals, and sand into the ground to establish an oil well. Newsom's order does two things. It would ban new fracking permits by 2024. Secondly, he's asking the California Air Resources Board to find ways to phase out oil extraction across the state by no later than 2045. Deborah Sevis is an attorney with the Stanford Environmental Law Clinic. I'm glad to see the governor moving along instead of kind of passing the buck to the legislature. But it doesn't go all that far, partly because fracking's not a huge piece of the puzzle here. Even though fracking makes up only about 2% of all oil extraction in the state, Parts of the oil industry said they will fight the mandate. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. The oil industry says the ban will hurt the state economically and cost thousands of jobs. And let's stay on energy. An official with the state's Public Utilities Commission has ruled that SoCal Gas wrongly used money from ratepayers to lobby against energy efficiency standards. The ruling also found the utility used customer money to fight proposals aimed at limiting the use of natural gas in buildings. Mark Chediak from Bloomberg News has been following the story. SoCal Gas would have to refund customer money that was used for this lobbying effort and they are also prohibiting SoCal Gas from doing this kind of activity in the future. But the CPUC failed to impose fines on the utility, and that's left environmental and watchdog groups blasting the decision. They've called for regulators to fine SoCal Gas more than $250 million to prevent it from doing the same thing in the future. A spokesperson for SoCal Gas tells Bloomberg News they, quote, appreciate the finding that no violations, fines, or penalties are warranted. The decision now goes to the five commissioners at the CPUC for final review. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare.
With the deadline for validating signatures fast approaching, Governor Newsom will almost surely face a recall election later this year. And there are several Republican candidates lined up looking to replace him, the latest being reality star and former Olympian Caitlyn Jenner. Former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner and businessman John Cox have also thrown their hats into the ring. KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports on some hard lessons Democrats learned when Governor Gray Davis faced a recall 18 years Years ago and was ousted from office. In July of 2003, California's top election official Kevin Shelley made a somber announcement. As California's Secretary of State, it is my duty today to certify the first recall election of a governor in California history. In California, there are two questions on a recall ballot. The first, should the governor be recalled, yes or no? And second, if the governor is recalled, who should the new governor be? Waiting in the wings that year, one candidate towered over the rest. I'm going to run for governor of the state of California. On The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, action movie star Arnold Schwarzenegger announced he was in. Republican operative Sean Walsh was there. It was just a perfect Hollywood type of campaign event that happens once in a generation, and he was the right person at the right time to capitalize on it. Then, like now, one question loomed large for Democrats who opposed the recall. Should a prominent Democrat get into the race as a backup in case Davis is recalled? You know, just to make sure a Democrat wasn't replaced with a Republican. Cruz Bustamante was the Democratic lieutenant governor at the time. At first, Bustamante said he would not run in the recall. How sure was he? Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. But Bustamante soon changed his mind. I'm here to tell everyone to vote no on the recall and yes on Bustamante. Gary South was Gray Davis's campaign consultant. And so to say no on recall, yes on Bustamante, was oxymoronic to the average voter, and people didn't get what it meant. But as Bustamante saw it, he was trying to be a kind of insurance policy for Democrats. I decided to run in this race in order to protect the state against the kind of politics that I believe Arnold would bring to the state. While some Democrats fumed when Bustamante got in, GOP consultant Sean Walsh says Team Schwarzenegger had a very different reaction. High fives, low fives, toasts, tequila shots, rum raisin, ice cream. It was a party all the way around if you were a Republican. At the time, Gray Davis was enormously unpopular, with approval ratings in the 20s. So beating the recall was always going to be a tough climb. But South says by jumping in, Bustamante caused even more problems for Davis. For one, it upended the message that the recall was a Republican plot. And some voters saw it as a way to replace the dislike Davis with the first Latino governor. So Arnold was clearly our biggest problem, but Bustamante was a close second. Bustamante, a Central Valley Democrat, had a hard time raising money and was no match for the star power of Schwarzenegger. I knew what the consequences would be. If I lost, it may shorten my career. And I made the decision to run despite that. Looking back, Bustamante says his decision to run was selfless. I was taking one for the team. But the team sure didn't appreciate it. Not only was Davis recalled, but Bustamante finished with 31% of the vote, far behind the winner. Thank you very much to all the people of California for giving me the great trust. Three years after that, Bustamante, who was still lieutenant governor, ran for state insurance commissioner, losing to a novice Republican, making him the last incumbent Democrat to lose a statewide election. I have no regrets. 
So whatever came after that isn't good or bad. It just is. I'm very at peace with all of that. With another recall heading for the ballot, Newsom's advisors are circling the wagons to make sure no other Democrat jumps in. But at least one is rumored to be thinking about it, former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. And that is the California Report for Monday, April 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Have a great day. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Supreme Court of Canada Friday ruled 7-2 to two in favor of a Washington state man who was charged with illegally hunting in Canada more than a decade ago. Emily Schwing reports. In 2010, Rick Desitel crossed the U.S.-Canada border into British Columbia, where he intentionally hunted for elk without a license. Back in 1953, the last surviving member of Desitel's ancestral tribe, the Sinaixt, passed away in British Columbia. Three years later, the province reclaimed Sinaixt lands, and Canada's federal government officially declared the tribe extinct. Desitel wanted to prove his people were anything but extinct. He was acquitted in 2017, but the province appealed twice and lost. Now the Supreme Court of Canada has sided with Desitel. Via Zoom, defense attorney Mark Underhill delivered the news to Desitel, his wife Linda, and dozens of other Sinaixt who had gathered to celebrate the ruling. On behalf of Canada, welcome home. We won. This is the first time the Supreme Court of Canada has interpreted what it means to be an Aboriginal Peoples of Canada. In the majority opinion, Judge Malcolm Rowe wrote that Sinaixt rights are protected by Canada's constitution and that to exclude Aboriginal peoples who were forced to move out of Canada would risk perpetuating the historic injustice suffered by Aboriginal peoples at the hands of Europeans. Loggers, miners, and white settlers who moved into British Columbia in the 19th century proved to be hostile neighbors, and many Sinaixt were forced to move south across the border onto the reservation of the Confederated Tribes of the Colville in Washington state. Rodney Coston is the Colville chairman. He's also Sinaixt. He says his tribe will now work to protect cultural resources and sacred sites in Canada. We will begin looking at our Aboriginal title back to our lands, our traditional homelands, um, and also, you know, that recognition that we do have rights as a First Nation in Canada. Costin would not say for sure if the Sinaixt will seek reparations from the Canadian government. For National Native News, I'm Emily Schwing. The Treasury Department faces a May 10th deadline for distributing $20 billion in federal coronavirus aid to tribal governments. The Mountain West News Bureau's Savannah Marr reports some tribal leaders have unanswered questions about the funding. When last year's CARES Act funding was rolled out to tribes, there were pitfalls, including the formula used to divide the money up. It was based on outdated and incomplete tribal citizenship data, causing some tribes to be shorted millions, including the Eastern Shoshone tribe, according to its pandemic response coordinator, Karen Snyder. She says Treasury should have used the data that tribes self-reported. We reported the actual enrollment of the tribe 
and there was a disparity, you know, they should use really what the tribe's saying because who knows better. Eric Henson of Harvard University co-authored a policy brief urging Treasury to use that self-reported data this time around and for the department to provide clearer spending guidelines and technical support for tribes as they make decisions about how to spend the money. Henson says tribes should also have the flexibility to spend it on things like housing and education improvements. A lot of infrastructure investment could be really important here because that's the platform upon which you can lift yourself up going forward. Treasury has until May 10th to disperse the funds to tribes. It hasn't yet released an allocation formula or further spending guidance. For National Native News, I'm Savannah Marr. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Sioux Trading Post, whose special selection of dried herbs are chosen for superior quality, and many sage, sweetgrass braids, and red willow bark and cedar are wild-crafted. All available at SiouxTrading.com. Wopila. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination is provided by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who support this show. Info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. As reported in today's Sacramento Bee, California is one of seven states that will lose a seat in Congress as a result of the latest U.S. Census count. Today, the U.S. Census Bureau released its once-in-a-decade population counts. The report determines how many U.S. House seats each state gets based on population. The census data comes from a snapshot in time, showing how many people were living in America on April 1, 2020. The census found that California's population, which is about 39.5 million people, grew by 6.1% since 2010. In the same period, the nation's population grew by 7.4%. California will lose one of its 53 seats in the House of Representatives because other states grew at a faster rate. Those states will gain seats. In a story published over the weekend, the Washington Post suggests that the much-discussed exodus from California might more realistically be described as a migration from the coastal regions to the eastern part of the state. The Post story notes that Nevada County's neighbor, Placer County, is among the fastest-growing places in the state over the past decade. Census figures show that Placer County has grown 14% in the past decade, more than twice the state rate. The state has reported a net loss of nearly half a million people in the past two years alone. Beginning in 1960, the state population grew by more than 30% each of the next three decades, a rate that peaked in the 1990 census, which found California's population had jumped 37% over the previous 10 years. According to the Post, the detailed census data to be released in coming months is expected to show that the California exodus is overshadowed by the churn of people within its borders, which is remaking once rural communities such as Rockland and Auburn.
The relatively low numbers of people moving elsewhere earlier in the decade suggest that the leaving California story may have been more political talking point than fact. But the Post found that the departures are accelerating and may not be fully reflected in the census figures. A study published last month by the California Policy Lab at the University of California found that in the last quarter of 2020, 267,000 people left the state, while only 128,000 people arrived. The census count ended in spring 2020. Now, according to the Post, the movement in the state is to the east, to the Central Valley as well as the Sierra foothills, and from the Bay Area to Sacramento, where real estate prices are skyrocketing. The full story can be found on the Washington Post website. The Environmental Protection Agency announced today that it will move to grant California permission to set stricter climate requirements for cars and SUVs, a reversal of a Trump administration policy. The Washington Post reports that the EPA's move came days after the Transportation Department withdrew Trump-era restrictions of state tailpipe emission rules. The EPA will hold a virtual public hearing on its proposal June 2nd and will take comment on the plan until July 6th. The administration's actions will give California more leverage in discussions between car company executives, auto workers, and federal officials over national mileage and greenhouse gas emission standards for new passenger vehicles. Thirteen states and the District of Columbia have signed on to California's tailpipe emission standards. Together, they represent 36% of the U.S. auto market. President Biden's EPA administrator, Michael Regan, said in a statement that the Trump administration's decision to revoke California's waiver to enforce pollution standards was, quote, legally dubious and an attack on the public's health and well-being, unquote. The proposed Transportation Department rule would no longer bar individual states from establishing their own greenhouse gas emission standards and zero-emission vehicle mandates. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors meets at 9 a.m. Tuesday at the Rood Center in Nevada City. On the agenda is a resolution to designate Kirsten Casey as the third Nevada County Poet Laureate. Casey has been an active member of California Poets in the Schools for the past 16 years and is currently its regional coordinator. She has an upcoming collection of poems exploring historical and literary characters struggling with the use of social media in the modern world. This afternoon, the Nevada County Public Health Department reported 35 new confirmed COVID-19 cases since Friday. The county has 104 active cases. Two people are hospitalized, one of them in the intensive care unit. According to the Centers for Disease Control, 29.5% of Nevada County residents are fully vaccinated. Statewide, Governor Gavin Newsom noted today that California's COVID-19 test positivity rate is 1.2%, the lowest in the country and the lowest positivity rate California has experienced in a year. In the weather for our region, after an unseasonably cool start to the week, dry, warmer weather returns Tuesday. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mainly clear skies with a low of 43 degrees and light winds. On Tuesday, sunny with a high of 77 degrees and a low of 56. In Truckee tonight, partly cloudy with a low of 23. 
Tuesday in Truckee, sunny with a few passing clouds, a high of 54 and a low of 24. In Sacramento, some clouds this evening giving way to mainly clear skies with an overnight low of 44. Tuesday, mainly sunny in Sacramento with a high near 80 and a low of 47 with winds of up to 20 miles per hour. The full moon, which is a so-called supermoon, rises at 7.41 p.m. tonight and will peak at about 8.30 p.m. Aliens are on the loose in our gardens. Al Stoller comes to the rescue with advice about how to stock up on native plants. Words are a great way to communicate, but only if you got a mouth and some ears. Plants communicate very well with color. Most of us have learned from experience not to eat green apples. When an apple is green, it is telling us it does not want us to eat it, and we'll get a bellyache if we try. Sometime later, When its seeds are ripe, ready to be planted with poop, then the apple turns red to advertise itself as sweet. Flowers, too, communicate with color. The purpose of the flower is to get its pollen, which carries its sperm, over to the egg cell of another flower. When the pollen is ripe, the flower makes some sugary nectar and advertises that nectar by turning color. And just what color the flower turns can also be a message. Butterflies see red better than other insects. And hummingbirds see red really well. So red flowers are telling the hummingbirds and the butterflies to come on by and bring their long tongues. I was visiting with a friend the other day and mentioned to her that I'd noticed a healthy alien growing in her backyard, which took her aback for a moment when she interpreted alien as space being. But what I meant by alien was a non-native plant. If you're traveling in your car and you look out the window and see the Golden Gate Bridge, you know just from that you're in the Bay Area. So it is with the plants growing around us. Some plants tell you you're west of the Mississippi, that you're on the West Coast, that you're in Northern California, that you're in the foothills. An excellent guide to identifying and learning about our local native wildflowers is the book Wildflowers of Nevada and Placer Counties. It's written by members of the local Redbud chapter of the California Native Plant Society, CNPS, and it's got a lot of both pictures and information in it. Every fall, the Redbud chapter of CNPS holds an annual plant sale to raise funds and to get more native plants into people's yards. For obvious reasons, last fall's sale was canceled, but they're holding an online spring sale right now. Rather than put out a website, let me suggest you Google Redbud Native Plant Sale, and you'll see how you can get some native plants into your garden, into your yard. Tonight's moon is full, and it's closer than average, making it a supermoon. But it's not super close, so I'm not going to make a big deal of it. The moon is not going to turn pink. Just as there's a harvest moon and a hunter's moon, tonight is a pink moon, in reference to the garden flowers, known as pinks. Some folks have been wondering when we'll be doing sky-watching events again. 
Don't think it is not on the minds of local amateur astronomers. We will be doing it again. With luck, we'll be doing it soon. And we will get the word out. Again, Google Redbud Native Plant Sale and you'll find the info you need to stock up on native plants. The plants that were here before we were. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, with a show focusing on tales from the gift economy. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R-P-A-W-S-E.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Have a great evening.